Last week, we began a three-part sermon series entitled Perspectives. Our aim is to see this cosmic Christian Christmas event through the eyes of the wise men, Simeon and Anna, and lastly, the shepherds. It was St. Augustine who described the incarnation of Christ with these simple words, God sank himself down into our flesh. When we stop and think about this cosmic event called Christmas, when we stop to pause and reflect on the incarnation of our Lord, the miraculous conception of Christ, the safe arrival of our Lord, the perfect life that he lived, the substitutionary death that he died, the glorious resurrection that happened on Easter Sunday morning. I mean, these events cause all of human history to be split in two, two different eras, B.C. and A.D. All of it is because of the arrival of Jesus. We cannot overemphasize the significance of this cosmic, epic event called Christmas. And so, this morning, I want us to see it through the eyes of two people, Simeon and Anna. I realize that their story is, is not that popular. It's one of the least known stories about Christmas, but it is a story that takes place about a month after the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, I invite you to draw your sword, take your Bible, turn to the Gospel according to Luke, Chapter 2, verses 21 to 40. Once you found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Luke chapter 2, I'll begin reading at verse 21. I'll conclude at verse 40. Please hear the word of the Lord. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed... Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanael of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew, became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, the preaching, the understanding, the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I've discovered it is becoming more and more difficult to see the Christ of Christmas. What was once pretty obvious is now quite obscure. We live in a culture that has kind of convoluted the sacred and the secular. So that, gone are the days of Merry Christmas. It's simply Happy Holidays. No longer do we call it a Christmas tree. Our culture simply says it's a holiday tree. And if I look closely in our culture, I think what I see is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer right there at the stable beside the donkeys and the oxen. And I see Frosty the Snowman who is sliding up right beside the shepherds. And the Grinch who stole Christmas, or who is also described by our absurd woke friends, the Grinch who redistributed the wealth of Happy Holidays, the Grinch who stole Christmas is right there beside the wise men. And I look at our culture, and then I read this story of Luke chapter 2, and it is very refreshing. Because we find two people, a man and a woman, and they see with vivid clarity the Christ of Christmas. Luke smashes together in the opening four verses of our passage three religious ceremonies. The first one would have taken place about a week after the birth of Jesus. Mary and Joseph and Jesus would have gone back to the temple in Jerusalem and there Jesus would have been circumcised in accordance with the law of God and he was given the name Jesus uh, as it was given to his mother and father through the angels. I think that Luke is telling us this because he wants us to know that Mary and Joseph are obedient not only to the word of God but also to the angels of God. It is said in the, in the Levitical law that on the eighth day, every male is to be circumcised. And it was customary that on that eighth day to officially name them. And the parents of Jesus gave him the name that was given to them by the angel. The angel came and visited Mary and Joseph independently of one another and said to both of them, you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This first religious ceremony was the one of the circumcision of Jesus and the proper naming of Jesus. And Luke tells us that so we know that mom and dad, Mary and Joseph are obedient to God's word and to God's angel. But then he smashes together the second and third religious ceremony. That would have been the purification of the mother and the consecration of the firstborn son. Those two events would have happened simultaneously. According to the Mosaic Covenant, it would have occurred about the 33rd day after the birth of the child. So once again, about a month after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took the infant child back to Jerusalem for a second trip. This second trip, Mary was purified she went to the purification rites because she had been declared unclean because of the blood that had been associated with the delivery process. 
And she was purified, and simultaneously, their firstborn male son was consecrated unto the Lord. Once again, it is the Pentateuch that specifies that that firstborn male is to be given back to God, for he belongs to him. Luke tells us that they offered a sacrifice. A lamb uh, was customary to be given for the burnt offering of Uh, burnt offering unto the Lord, and also either a pigeon or a dove was to be given as a sin offering. Now, those two offerings were associated not with the consecration of Jesus, but rather with the purification of Mary. That when a woman was purified, she and her husband had to sacrifice and offer up a lamb and either a pigeon or a dove. Now, in Leviticus chapter 13, it does specify that if the husband and wife, the man and woman, cannot afford a lamb, then they can offer two doves or two pigeons, one as a burnt offering, the second as a sin offering. Luke makes it abundantly clear that Mary and Joseph offered, as according to the law, either two pigeons or two doves. Now, why does Luke spend these four verses describing in some detail these cumbersome uh, facts of the story? And I think the reason, once again, is for us to know that Mary and Joseph are obedient to the word of God and to know that Jesus was not born and raised in wealth, but rather in poverty. Now, some have very uh, cutely tried to say that the reason Mary and Joseph gave two pigeons or two doves is because Mary already had her lamb. And while I understand that statement, and I realize why people say that, but Luke makes it abundantly clear that, that the reason that they offered two pigeons or two doves in keeping with the Levitical law was simply because they could not afford a lamb. So they offered the first pigeon or dove as a burnt offering, the second pigeon or dove as a sin offering in the purification process of Mother Mary. They get done with all of that. They're on their way. They've packed everything up. They're making their way out the temple court. They think that their day is over. They're going to head back home. They've done everything in accordance with the word of God. Mary has now been purified. Jesus has now been consecrated unto the Lord. So all's well. We're just going to go back home. And all of a sudden, a man named Simeon approached them. We don't know much about Simeon. Luke doesn't give us very many details. He tells us nothing about the age or occupation of Simeon. We do know something about his character. He is described as righteous and devout. To say that he's righteous is to say that he was in right standing with God. To say that he is devout is to say that he's obedient to the instructions and the commands of God. He's one of the good guys. Remember, there have been 400 years of divine silence. 400 years since the last prophet spoke. Four centuries since Malachi declared, thus saith the Lord. There have been 400 years where God had not spoken. And yet, God's people were still in the process of praying and fasting and going to the temple and offering sacrifices, and women were being purified after their delivery, and the firstborn son was still being consecrated unto the Lord. And so they were going through their religious process. They were still doing what God had told them to do in the sacred scriptures. And so Simeon comes up, um, and, and he is righteous, and he is devout. We are told that the Holy Spirit had told him, revealed to him, that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. I can assume that Simeon went to the temple just about every day. 
And he saw the young parents and their children as they made their way through the sacred halls of the temple. Because imagine with me, on any given day, there would be dozens, if not hundreds, of young parents and their children as they came to do what the law required. And so Simeon would be there every day, and, and in his lifetime, he probably saw hundreds, if not thousands, of children. He had been promised by the Lord, you will not die until you see the Lord's Christ, until the anointed one, the Messiah, has been safely delivered. You will not pass away until your eyes see the Christ. Now, if Simeon were alive today, if he were attending here at First Baptist Church Pelham, we would probably arrest somebody like Simeon. Or at the very least, we would get complaints about Simeon because people would complain and say, hey, who is the cringy old man who hangs out at the nursery every single Sunday? He is staring at us and he's staring at our children and it's really making us awkward and he's really kind of freaking us out. Uh, he's got to be breaking some of our policies and procedures from Ministry Safe here at First Baptist Church Pelham. So pastor, you've got to do something about the cringy old guy who keeps hanging out outside the nursery. I mean, at the very least, he would be reported to us, if not arrested, because he's making everybody uh, kind of making us upset and kind of making us feel funny because he's constantly staring at young parents and their children. Yet in this day, we are told that he was able to recognize the Christ. Now, what was different about this day? I mean, this day was like every other day for him. He woke up going to the temple thinking to himself, today might be the day. Today might be the day that God reveals the very Christ child. Today might be the day when my eyes behold the Savior of the universe. Today just might be the day. He lived with that anticipation every single day. And on this day, he woke up and he went to the temple. We are told that when he saw Jesus, he went up to the mother and father. He took the child out of their arms. Now, if that were to happen today, stranger danger, stranger danger, right? I mean, I mean, we start yelling. I mean, who is this, who is this stranger that's taking our child out of our arms? Yet he takes the child out of the arms of mom and dad. I can imagine that he lifts Jesus heavenward and he simply says, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant. In peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I wonder what tipped him off that this was the Christ child. He looked at babies every single day. He saw dozens, if not hundreds, maybe even a cl close to a thousand in his lifetime. I mean, what was so significant about this child where he declared, Sovereign Lord? You can take me home. I mean, you can kill me right now because now my eyes have seen. Clearly, this child is the Christ. What tipped him off? What was so obvious about Jesus? What was so obvious about him that this was the child? You know, you may say that Mary and Joseph would say, well, Jesus was the was the most glorious baby in all the temple. He was the most beautiful, the most handsome. You know, every parent thinks they have the most beautiful baby in the world. I've never met a parent to say, hey, come look at my ugly baby. No parent ever says that. They always say, hey, my baby is the most beautiful 
little baby that's ever been created. And sometimes you look at that baby and you go, oh, yeah, right, okay. You keep believing that, right? I mean, because the honest reality is not, they're not the most beautiful baby. But what would have tipped off Simeon? That Jesus was Christ. I think the answer is found right there in the text, verse 27. Moved by the Spirit. Simeon was Spirit-controlled. He was moved by the Spirit of God. What the Spirit did for Simeon, the Spirit does for all of us who believe. It is the Spirit of God that stirs us. It's the Spirit of God that moves us. It's the Spirit of God that nudges us into obedience. It's the Spirit of God that opens up our eyes unto his salvation. We don't recognize Jesus as Christ unless we are moved by the Spirit of God. Unless the Spirit of God moves us, then we recognize that Jesus really is the Christ. And I think what the Spirit did for Simeon, the Spirit does for all of us who believe. He was moved by the Spirit, and he recognized that Jesus is Christ. This Jesus was the one to come and bring salvation to all the world. Simeon was spirit-controlled. You know, it's one thing to be self-controlled. There's a great deal of merit in being self-controlled, but greater still is to be spirit-controlled. A person who is self-controlled, they think before they speak. And wouldn't it be great if we were always self-controlled? Wouldn't it be great if we actually thought before we spoke? But to be spirit-controlled, says, God, may every word that tumbles from my lip be of you. The psalmist tells us that God knows the very words of our lips before we even think them. While they are still a far way off, God knows the next word that we are going to speak. The person who's spirit-controlled says, God, I want you to put a guard over my mouth so that everything I say, I don't just want to think before I speak. I want to surrender every word before it even comes to my mind. Oh, it's one thing to be self-controlled. It's another thing, greater still, to be spirit-controlled. The person who's self-controlled they, they think before they act. They think before they react. They're not impulsive in their responses. Oh, but the person who is spirit-controlled says, God, everything that I think, everything that I say, everything that I feel, the way that I respond, the way that I interact, let it be of you. For I surrender everything unto you. It is one thing to be self-controlled. It is greater still to be spirit-controlled. And the one thing the church needs more than anything else, we need to have some people that are spirit-controlled. We need pastors and deacons who are spirit-controlled. We need choir members and Sunday school teachers who are spirit-controlled. We need uh, men and women, boys and girls, people in the pew, people uh, across the street. We need individuals everywhere that are spirit Spirit-controlled, not just self-controlled in what they say and do, but spirit-controlled, moved by the very Spirit of God. I think what tipped off Simeon, that this child is the kingly kid, is the fact that he was moved by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God had, re had revealed to him, you will not die until you see the Lord's Christ. And he went every day looking for that Christ child. And on this day, 
It was the Spirit of the Lord that opened up his eyes unto salvation. He knows who he's talking to. He breaks out in song. This is about the third song in Luke's gospel. The first is from Mother Mary. The second is from Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Once Zechariah's lips are loosed. And now this is the third song. It's the song of Simeon. He knows to whom he sings, does he not? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant For my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon would tell you to see Jesus is to see salvation. If you see Jesus as something less than the Savior of the universe, then you ain't really seeing Jesus. Because to see Jesus is to see salvation. This salvation is a light for Gentiles and it's the glory of Israel. In other words, this salvation is for all mankind, Jew and Gentile. That phrase, Jew and Gentile, it encompasses all of mankind, all of humanity. Because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost regardless of whether that was a Jewish person or a non-Jewish person that we call a Gentile. And I want you to realize that Simeon declared, acknowledged, and knew that Jesus is Savior. Jesus did not become Savior. He is declared Savior. He didn't become Savior at the age of 12 in the temple. He didn't become Savior at some point in his teenage years. He did not become Savior at the age of 30 when he began a public ministry. He did not become Savior when he was hanging on a cross between two thieves. No, Jesus did not become Savior. He is Savior. He always has been Savior. We declare him as who he is, for he is the Savior of the universe. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Simeon declares this Christ child is Savior. Savior of Jew and Savior of Gentile. The light has come. Simeon's response of a blessing was not just full of warm fuzzies. No, he turns to Mary and Joseph. And he says to them, this child will cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. In other words, this child will be divisive. We've said it before, but it bears repeating. What Simeon was driving at is that you can receive Jesus or you can reject Jesus, but you can't ignore Jesus. You can either receive him and he will be the rising of your soul. You can reject him and it will be the downward condemnation of your soul, but you cannot ignore him. You can receive him or reject him, but you can't ignore him. This Jesus, he'll be received by many, but he won't be received by all. He'll be rejected by many, but he won't be rejected by all. He will be the rising and the falling of many people. And then turning to Mother Mary, Simeon says to her, and a sword will pierce your own soul The soul was the seat of emotion. For Simeon to declare that a sword will pierce her own soul too, not only indicates 
that Simeon is divinely aware of the type of death Jesus will experience, for he will be crucified. But he's also speaking to the mother and saying that you will be cut to the heart because of the destiny of this child. I've oftentimes been told that when a mother sees her child, it's like watching her heart walk outside of her body. And there's truth in that statement because moms and their children are bound together because nine months before anybody saw that child, mama carried that child, nurtured that child. As the child grew during those three trimesters, as the heart began to pump, as the brain waves began to flitter, as the fingers began to develop and the toes began to form, as that child began to flip and flop in the embryonic fluid, there was a bond that was created between mother and child. It's a bond that cannot be severed. It's a bond that cannot be broken. So it's a true statement that when a mama sees her child, it's like watching her heart walk outside of her body. Mamas, can I get an amen? You know what that is. And Simeon says to Mother Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That Jesus, your precious boy, will be crucified and you will be crushed. Can you imagine the weight, the stress, the agony of trying to parent perfection? I mean, it's hard to parent little creatures running around that we call sons and daughters, right? I mean, it's hard to parent them, but can you imagine the weight of the responsibility, the stress that would come from trying to parent perfection? Jesus was always right. He was always perfect. You can't correct Jesus because he's right. I mean, he doesn't do anything wrong. You can't get on him for not getting a good grade. Because every grade he brings home is a stinking 100, right? I mean, you, you can't do any better than Jesus. Jesus is perfection in every way. How do you parent perfection? The very next story that Luke records is that more famous story of when Jesus was about 12 years of age. And Mary and Joseph and Jesus traveled to Jerusalem for the feast and festival uh, they would have traveled in a large caravan that would have been full of uh, hundreds of family members and friends. They all would have just kind of traveled together on foot, on camel, on donkey as they made their way. When the feast was over, they packed up everything, or at least they thought they packed up everything, and off they went back home. Now Joseph assumed that Jesus was with Mary, and Mary assumed that Jesus was with Joseph wasn't until the first night after a days of travel that they realized they had lost Jesus. Friend, it is one thing to lose your car keys. It's another thing to lose a kid. And not just any kid, but the Christ child. I mean, 
the one thing that you've been given, and the one instruction is, don't mess this up. I mean, that's what they were given. They were given the mantle of, don't mess this up. I'm giving you perfection. You just got to make sure that he's, you know, raised in the right way and, uh, and launched out from your house. Don't mess this up. And when he's 12 years old, they lose the boy. Luke says they make their way back to the sacred city. They find him on the third day. Can you imagine the first night and the second night of unsuccessful searching for Jesus? I mean, they go back to the sacred city. They go back to Jerusalem, and they're looking for Jesus, and he's not here. They go over there. He's not there. It's like, where's Waldo? Where is Jesus? Where is he? They can't find him. Can you imagine going back to wherever you're going to kind of sleep for the night, and you and your spouse are looking at each other? And it's the first night and you didn't find him? It's the second night and you still didn't find him? Can you imagine the conversation that Mary and Joseph must have had? I mean, Joseph probably looked at her and just in frustration, he said, I knew I shouldn't have married you, right? And then Mary would look at Joseph and say, my daddy always told me you're nothing more than a redneck carpenter. I should have just listened to my daddy, right? I mean, can you imagine the conversation that would have gone on? Y'all looking at me like y'all don't know what kind of conversations that is. But if you're married, you know those kind of conversations. Well, you should have had him. I thought you had him. What are you thinking about? I never should have married you. You know, those kind of conversations back and forth. Eventually on the third day, they find Jesus. He's in the temple. Mary approaches him and says, why have you treated your father and me this way? That's a great question. I mean, after all, Jesus is perfect. He could have just gone and told them mentally, hey, I'm in the temple, right? I mean, he could have communicated with them without ever speaking a word. Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then Jesus replied, why are you looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? Oh, how do you respond to that statement? How do you have a comeback to that? Okay, Jesus, once again, you're right, we're wrong. Why were we looking for you? Of course we should have known you're in the temple. Why didn't we think of coming here first and not on day three? I mean, oh yes, Jesus, we get it. I mean, can you imagine the stress? of parenting perfection. Mary and Joseph did the best they could. Most believe that Joseph passed away early on and that Mary was left to help raise her son, the very son of God and son of man. About the age of 30, he had a public ministry he traveled around some three years. He assembled around himself some 12 disciples. At the end of that three-year ministry, Jesus was handed over to the religious rulers. They gave him to the Roman authorities. And the religious rulers convinced the Roman authorities to crucify Jesus. The gospel writers tell us that when Jesus was crucified on a cross, he went up Calvary's hill at the feet of, at the foot of the cross, you'll find Mother Mary and several others. At some point, she might be sitting there thinking, that's my Savior. 
But I think first and foremost, she's thinking, that's my son. That's my baby on that cross. That's, that's my baby on that cross. When the Roman soldier drew his sword, thrust it into the side of Jesus, causing blood and water to flow, and as Mary watched Jesus flinch from the pain of the pierced side, I think it's at that moment that these words of Simeon flood her mind, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Jesus was crucified. Mary, the mother, was crushed. This was something she had been carrying with her for some 33 years. It's on this day in Luke chapter 2 when Simeon declares these words. He acknowledges that Jesus is the Christ. He will be very divisive for he will cause the rising and falling of many. You can receive him or reject him, but you can't ignore him. And even to his mother, Simeon says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. You'll be crushed by this one's death. And Simeon declared with accuracy who Jesus was. It wasn't what Jesus became. It is who Jesus was. For he's always been Savior. He is the Christ child. No sooner had those words kind of cascaded over Mary and Joseph that we are told that a prophetess named Anna approached. Anna represents the best of Judaism. She worshiped day and night. She fasted and she prayed. We were told that she was very old. She was married for seven years, and then she was a widow for some 84 years. The translation of that phrase is hard to decipher. It could mean that she's an 84-year-old widow, or it could mean that she's been a widow for 84 years. So if you add 84 plus the seven years that she was married, plus the fact that she probably had to be 13 before she got married. She's 102, 103 years old. So either she's 84 or she's over 100 years old, but regardless, she's very old. And she comes up, and she too sees Jesus for who he is. She sees him as the Christ child. She thanks God. And she tells anybody who will listen to her. This is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the Christ. He's the one we've been longing for. He's the one the prophets foretold. He's the one that God has promised. Salvation has come. Redemption has come. All those who are looking for redemption in Jerusalem, it'll be found in him. And certainly she's right. For redemption will come from Jerusalem. For Jesus will be crucified right outside the gates of Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, salvation will be given to anyone who will believe, to any nation, to any, any person. So she's right that this baby, he is redemption. And his redemption will come to and through Jerusalem. And she made no small commotion. It's one thing to recognize Jesus. It's another thing to brag about Jesus. It's one thing to just know who he is. It's another thing to make much of him. 
You know what I've discovered in life is that we typically speak most highly about those that we love most deeply. We speak most highly about those that we love most deeply. I've never known any parent, or grandparent for that matter, who had to go to a class to train them on how to brag about their children and their grandchildren. Yet parents do it all the time. And grandparents do it even more, right? I mean, parents and grandparents, they brag about their children and their grandchildren. And, and, and those parents and grandparents never went to a class, never went to a class to train them on how to brag. Now, when Johnny does this, when Sally does that, you're supposed to tell that to everybody. And even when the person you're talking to really isn't listening, you still brag about them nonstop, right? I mean, that's what happens. Yet there's no individual, no parent, no grandparent who's ever gone to a class to teach you how to brag on your children and grandchildren. Yet we routinely try to train ourselves and to train people on how to brag about Jesus. It's not that I'm belittling gospel conversation training. I am not belittling faith training. I am not calling into question evangelism explosion training or whatever mechanism, whatever form, whatever tool. I'm not belittling the training. I'm just shocked that we need it. Apparently, you're not as shocked as I am. I can tell by your response. But I'm just shocked that we would even need it. We say that we love Jesus deeply. And if that's true, then we ought to speak of him most highly. Because we speak most highly about those that we love most deeply. We speak most often about those that we love most deeply. And you and I, if we know who Jesus is, we ought to brag on him. That's what Anna does. She sees him, gives thanks to God, and she raises no small commotion, but she talks to anybody and everybody around, hey, this is redemption. This child will bring redemption for all who believe. It'll come to Jerusalem and through Jerusalem. Boy, she's right. I wonder, how often do you brag about Jesus? How often do you speak of him that he is the first subject that you speak about? And he's the one you speak about most often. You know, there are many things you and I can learn from Simeon and Anna. But the question before me this morning is, how do you see the Christ of Christmas? I think there are three things that happen in this story that help us to see the Christ of Christmas. Now, these three things are not profound. They're rather simple. But the first is this. They were looking for him. It's kind of basic, right? They were looking for him. Every day, Simeon and Anna were looking for the Christ child. They were looking for Jesus. The Lord Spirit had already told Simeon, you will not die until your eyes see the Lord's Christ. So every day, he's looking for Jesus. And Anna is doing the very same thing. She's at the temple all the time. She is worshiping day and night. She is fasting. She is praying. She is seeking the Lord and his face. She's longing for the consolation of Israel. 
They're looking for Jesus. And this morning I'll ask you, um, how many days go by without you intentionally saying to the Lord, help me see you today, Jesus? Help me see you today. For most of us, our day starts by being rudely jolted from our slumber. We've got to get up earlier than any of us really want to. We get ready, we eat some food, we drink some coffee. We go to school, we go to work, we do things that really we don't necessarily enjoy all that much, but we got to get it done. We do the grind, we go through the motions, we, we've got the responsibilities, we meet the deadlines, uh, we work with other people to make sure the bottom line is fulfilled, we get done because we work more hours than we want to, and then once we get home, we've got other responsibilities that grab our attention, and we do this and we do that, and we go this place and we go that place, we fulfill this responsibility, and we've got to get everything done for the house and for the children and for the spouse, and we get all that done. And by the end of the day, we just kind of collapse into our bed. We don't think very much about it. We're just like, I'm just so glad I made it through another day. We sleep until we're jolted back again out of our slumber the very next day. And it all starts over again. And we go day after day after day, week after week, doing the same thing the same way. I wonder, friend, how many days go by without you stopping and saying, Jesus, help me to see you today. Help me to see what you want me to see. Help me to see the person the way you see that person. Help me to see that coworker, not just as a tool to help me meet the bottom line and get the project done, but help me to see this coworker as one who's in need of salvation. So, Father, help me to see you today. Ironically, those people who seek Jesus, they find Jesus. Or, more accurately stated theologically, those who seek Jesus are found by Jesus. Jesus does not play hide-and-go-seek with his people. It's not so much that you chase Jesus, but he is the hound from heaven who pursues you. Don't let a day go by that you don't consciously say, Jesus, let me see you today. Simeon and Anna, they were looking for him. The second thing is that they saw Jesus as Savior. Both Simeon and Anna acknowledged that he is the Christ child. They saw Jesus as Savior. There may have been other people who saw Jesus as Savior, but these are the only two people on this given day that Luke records for us. There were dozens, hundreds of people that saw this baby named Jesus, and we're not given any indication that the other people saw him as the Christ, only Simeon and Anna. They saw him as Savior. Friend, if you see Jesus as something other than the Savior, you're not really seeing Jesus. He is the Savior of your life and my life. He's the Savior of any face, any race, any place. He is the Savior of anyone. He's the Savior of could be everyone. He's the Savior of all the ones who trust him as Christ. He is the Savior. There are a lot of people that see Jesus in a lot of ways. Some people see him as a moral man. I see him as a mighty Messiah. Some people see him as a godly man. I see him as the God man. Some people see him as a con. I see him as Christ. Some people see him as a rabbi. I see him as my righteousness. Some people see him as 
One who has a way with words, I see him as the word who shows us the way. How you see Jesus makes an infinite difference in whether you're saved or not. Because Simeon and Anna, not only were they looking for him every day, but they saw him as Savior. Third and final statement I would make is that they saw him through the eyes of piety. You say, preacher, where do you get that? They saw him through the eyes of piety. Well, in order to see this Jesus as Christ, you've got to see him in humility through eyes of purity and piety. It is Jesus who will say in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Only the pure in heart see God. If you're not pure in heart, then you cannot see God. And the opposite of purity is impurity, and you and I have to struggle with impurity every single day. We are so selfish, we are so arrogant, we are so self-centered that we've got to wrestle against that every single day. So Lord Jesus, help me to look for you every day. Help me to see you as Savior so I brag about you to anybody that I talk to. And Lord, help me to see you through eyes of piety. Because Simeon and Anna, moved by the Spirit of God, they saw Jesus as the Christ. There are some people that see Jesus as hoax. You and I see him as the Holy One. Some that see him as a criminal, you and I see him as Christ. Some see him as a liar, you and I see him as Lord. Because we look for him every day. We see him as salvation for anyone who will believe. And we see him through the eyes of piety. This morning, let me ask you once again before I close, do you know this Jesus? Have you seen this Christ child? Have you seen the Christ of Christmas? Have you seen this child named Jesus and acknowledged him as Christ? If you never have, today can be the day of your salvation. You recognize in Jesus that he is Savior, your Savior. He died on the cross for your redemption. He was raised on the third day to give you eternal life. If you are a believer, can I simply ask, how often do you brag about Jesus? I think all of us would say we don't brag about him enough. Can we make a commitment today that for the rest of this year, when we see some family and friends over the next few days and weeks, we'll do our best to brag about Jesus? That when we look into 2024 to a new year that's coming, can we make a commitment that we will brag about Jesus more next year than we ever did this year? Why do we need to brag about Jesus? Because the hymn writer just simply clearly says, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. He is Christ the Lord. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. He is Christ the Lord. So we'll give him all the glory. And we'll give him all the glory. We'll give him all the glory. Why? Because he's Christ the Lord. If we know him as Christ, we'll not only recognize him, but we'll speak of him often. We'll brag about him daily. We'll look for him each and every day. We will see him through eyes of piety. Why? Because Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is how you see the Christ of Christmas. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give this moment of, of invitation. Lord, if there's one who's here who does not know you're a Savior, and Lord, I pray that today 
is the day of salvation. Please let the scales fall off their eyes. Let them see you for who you are. Father, for those of us who have had our eyes opened and we trust you as Savior and Lord, help us to brag about you more today and these days than we ever have. Father, for someone here who needs to join this church, let them do it today, right here, right now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.